0: Misrepresentations of Biological Psychiatry on this edition of Truth and Love. I'm Dale Johnson and you're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors where we seek to provide biblical solutions for the problems that people face. And Sam, here we are once again, our director of training center certification, Professor of Biblical Counseling at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And we're glad that you've joined us again this week. We are continuing a conversation that we had to rudely interrupt, I suppose, because of time and so much that we need to say about this. So we'll call this a part two. And we were looking last time at a Harvard Review of Psychiatry article that came out in 2020. Uh, discussing the issues of misrepresentations of biological psychiatry, particularly in mass media. And and they do a really good job, I think, of helping us to see some of the problems that have been revealed about scientific, quote-unquote, scientific research relative to to psychiatric illnesses or, or mental disorders, mental health issues. It reminds you that May is Mental Health Month, and which is why we sort of intentionally focus in, in, in this direction. And I do hope that you're not put off by... This being a little bit more academic, it certainly is. But I see it as important, translated down to the church that that this becomes a blockade from so many pastors wanting to engage in biblical counseling. They sort of lead this category that they're there're these um, you know, science has this curb on biological psychiatry. We don't want to pit ourselves against science as people of faith have done in the past. And so it sort of keeps them from uh, from exploring the beauty of the sufficiency of scripture to deal with the problems that that we struggle with in life. It it diminishes our Christian worldview. It it diminishes the idea that Christ is supreme and holds all things in his hand, including the cells that hold us together, of which, by the way, that God says he will fully restore at that time when Jesus returns and glorifies us who believe. So it it really begins to erode that Christian narrative. And, And that's our big concern, I think, Sam, as we talk about this. So brief recap, we talked about the various problems of scientific literature, and and I think it's important that that you guys maybe go back and listen to last week to to understand where we're going this week. But I want to jump in because we have a lot of stuff to to cover. We talked last week about this idea of monocausal versus multicausal. I mean, it's just explained very quickly. Monocausal is what biological psychiatry attempts to do, okay? It it attempts to explain in a reductionistic way that the problems that we have, right, the, the psychological problems that we have, are because of something that's gone awry in our body. Now, can we say that they're influential? Of course, but to reduce it to simply say that they're the primary cause, and that's the corridor that we look down in order to explain all of these emotional problems that that we all have to some degree or another, um, that's reductionistic. That's monocausal. It's trying to describe a singular cause of the problems that we have. On the other side, you have the the multi-causal, which is exactly what it says that there are differing factors that contribute to some degree. And that's most famously recognized in what's been called the biopsychosocial model uh, of mental disorders and or of psychiatry. So, uh, what I want us to do is to explore the way these guys in the Harvard uh, Review of Psychiatry talk about the lack of support that's revealed by the scientific literature. Uh, many meta-analysis that have happened to uh, look at some of the scientific research, the the psychiatric research, if you will, that's demonstrated the lack of um, validity in so much of the research that's become prominent and most understood by by our culture to explain biological psychiatry is the answer to all of our problems and um, but there's lack of support for it. so same I want to I want you to get us kicked off into uh, helping us to understand how these guys, uh, reveal to us some of that lack of support for a monocausal explanation of mental disorders.
1: Well, just the note that you ended our podcast on last week is should be reemphasized, that this article is in response to one that was published in 2019 uh, from the New England Journal of Medicine that spoke about that there is still, to this day, even after several decades, a lack of of quote a comprehensive biological understanding of either the causes or even the treatments of psychiatric disorders. This is, and this article is not um, an oddball mm-hmm. in the literature. There, as you mentioned, there are more and more articles be, being published all the time. They're not getting the airtime. Uh, they're not being promoted on uh, mass media, uh, but uh, that that are from from within the field itself saying, listen, psychiatry at large is grounded in this monocausal explanation that has no scientific basis whatsoever. Um, and, and even if you want to expand that into pharmacology at large, that also is grounded in this monocausal explanation. Why is that? Because it's extremely lucrative, mm-hmm. okay? And, and I, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist here, but money drives many, many things. And so when you can market and promote uh, life issues as biological causes, you can also market and promote uh, medications that will resolve messy life issues. And this happens, this is very common to our listeners. This is not something that you all, uh, is should sound foreign to you all at all. This is the common way that we think about it. In fact, we've talked about this, uh, Dale, and you may want to expand on this more, when it comes to direct-to-consumer advertising for things like psychotropic medications, medications that are are marketed and promoted and even designed to uh, uh, basically alter reality, mm-hmm. uh, to to alter mood and these types of things, uh, the U.S. is one of only what a couple countries in
0: the world mm-hmm. that we can have direct-to-consumer advertising for these types of medications. Yeah. We should find that interesting. Like I, I, one of the I don't watch a lot of TV, but one of the things that I enjoy watching. is uh, is sports. And it's really interesting to see the amount of commercials that that come on that are what's known as um, direct-to-consumer marketing or direct-to-consumer advertising. Uh, Did you know that the U.S. is one of only two countries in the world, along with New Zealand, uh, that allow um, legally the direct-to-consumer advertising? Uh, that's interesting, particularly as it relates to psychopharmaceuticals. And, and if the narrative is true that we're describing and the research is demonstrating that it is, there is no biological explanation. There are zero biomarkers in psychiatry at this point. There are theories, that's true, of, about biomarkers and what's caused and all that. But the, the the literature has not demonstrated that yet, nor the research. And so it's really critical when we when we see how these commercials are proposed. I'm sitting there watching it, right? And uh, the only ramification that is given in places like the U.S. or, or New Zealand is legally you have to give um, the the side effects, and you know how that happens, right? Is you do this flowery commercial, uh, and then at the very end you got the the micro machine man. You guys remember, if you're in my era, you remember the micro machine man who speaks rapidly to where you could barely understand him. And that's how you hear all the side effects and the possibilities of this and that, and um, and it really becomes this risk reward thing. Now, I'm not saying this to decry medicine particularly. I'm saying what it communicates to mass media uh, by mass media that uh, to our to our public that is not a true representation. It is, as we're describing here, a misrepresentation, and that is the key piece of this puzzle yeah. for for me is. It's a misrepresentation of what the literature is actually demonstrating. So that way, the, most of the culture just assumes, yes, I take this medicine because I have this, and it's curative. And that that is not the, the true message. That's
1: right. And that, that, that's one of the implications of this article, that mental disorders are being promoted as being exactly the same as what we would think of as traditional classical biomedical diseases. An interesting way to think about that is for most of these biomedical diseases, when it comes to diagnosis specifically, we're looking at etiology is very important. What's the organic cause and how does that display and manifest through symptoms? Uh, But often a lot of these psychiatric diagnoses are done quite the opposite. An observer, a diagnostician looks at symptoms and then comes to a conclusion from the DSM typically on, on a particular disorder.
0: Well, and the, the distinction there is is what's called criteria-based medicine, okay? Right. So, that that's just simply what psychiatry is, is we see symptoms. We connect that to say, well, this medicine helps to squelch some of those symptoms. And so, people then begin to assume some sort of cause and effect. And then, by deduction, they say, well, because this medicine alleviates these certain symptoms, then it must actually be chemically repairing something mm-hmm. and that's a false narrative um, that that we that we see propagated uh, consistently in our culture and, and that's what we're trying to, to explain here
1: well and to, and to emphasize the the human element in all this which we've got to bring it back down to again the the the, the, the very basic component of counseling is relating to people mm-hmm. uh, and and um, What's really tragic, and I, I, I use that word fully, understanding its, its implications, what's really tragic about uh, this monocausal explanation, this, this uh, biological explanation of psychiatry, is what is, is, is prominent throughout this entire article, especially at the very end. And what we've read, Dale and I both have read in several books, from people within the field, that there is all of these efforts, all of these promotions of of this model and, and even medicinal approaches and things like this, there's a lack of improved clinical care. One thing that they mention in the article is that what they call this neuroessentialist, this biological psychiatric explanation of mental disorders and problems of psychiatric disorders, it affects the care of patients in a negative way, Mm -hmm. that people aren't treated like people anymore. This is really the critique of psychiatry going back even into the Romantic period in some sense because when people could not explain bizarre behavior, they were treated not like humans.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you you see, psychiatry has a history of dehumanizing people. yes, Um, And and especially in the modern era because it's built upon a naturalistic perspective. And so, therefore, it, it must in some way Dehumanized, particularly when you relate it to a Christian worldview of of what humans are in our in our nature, uh, it is dehumanizing, and so it, it deduces man in in these particular ways. Now, you you mentioned neuroessentialist. I need to break that down, right? So, the the idea is essentially in biological psychiatry, neuro neurological ideas essentialist saying that um, neurology or the brain explains everything, all our emotions and everything. Now, does it contribute? Yes. But they're describing as the cause of all of our responses. And that's where we have to... That's the monocausal. That's the monocausal. That's where we have to to pause. And you mentioned, and I think this is so insightful and helpful, is uh, think about what that says to the person who is depressed. Think about what that says to the person who exhibits schizophrenic symptoms. Think about what that says to the person who struggles immensely with anxiety. Is a neurosensualist or a a biological approach to psychiatry would essentially say, well, it's something wrong with your brain, something wrong biologically with you, whether that be your genetics or your hereditary influence or whatever. and, And this is what's causing what's going on with you. And then you're going to take these medications and the percentages of those working across the board with people in alleviating symptoms is more minimal than what you would probably hope or wish based on the research. But what that communicates then to a person, think about the hopelessness that that person has. Think about how others then respond to them. Okay, One study actually demonstrated that for caregivers, those who care for people who have been diagnosed with mental illnesses or mental disorders, for caregivers, this neuroessentialist conceptualization actually dampens their empathy toward the patient or the client. I think that's really an interesting and insightful perspective because most people, when I, they talk about biblical counseling, well, you guys aren't empathetic. You don't demonstrate sympathy. You don't you don't do these things to to people. Well, what's happening is they assume that the secular world is doing this so well. When in reality, it's reductionist. What we're seeing is that reductionism yeah. is actually stripping our human natural response of of empathy towards somebody that's hurting. And so it's a false narrative that people are buying into. And that's an unintended consequence, right? That, that you know, we want to explain biological psychiatry. We want to do away with all the mystery of humanity here. And it's actually taking away our humanness in the way that we would relate to one another and the way that we would care for one another when when we're hurt. Uh, one other thing that I want to mention here is the empowerment of. Of biological psychiatry, you mentioned the, the lucrative nature of it, and that's certainly a negative effect, and it's a massive influence. I'll repeat this one more time. I, I remember thinking the biggest lobbyist uh, used to live in Texas was the oil and gas industry, right? They 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 are, and I'm not making a political statement at all. Just recognizing that most people say, well, it's the it's the biggest influencer in Washington. For example, uh, did you know that the the um, psychopharmacological psychopharma, uh, lobbyist in Washington? are actually the, the largest uh, body of lobbyists to the tune of twice as many, uh, as much as the, your oil and gas industry. That, that is profound. So the point that you're making, Sam, is absolutely correct that it is lucrative. There is pressure there. But, but a second point that I think is, is equally important, think of the power that biological psychiatry gives us. It gives us power because now we can reduce the problems that we have into our understanding. It gives us power of explanation. It gives us power of categories. It gives us power of labels in, in such a way that we think we can explain the problems that we have, and we can fix them. That's empowering to us, and we like that explanation. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of enduring some of the mystery that we see in Scripture and and our weaknesses being exposed, the lack of our intellectual understanding being exposed— uh, in relation to God, and our necessity to be constantly dependent on God for wisdom in all things. Well, God becomes a second. He either becomes an afterthought or a non-entity. Yeah, and and I think this is these are some of the detriments that we see that, that keep us running back to these types of explanations. It's a part of our sinful human nature to want to explain things in such a simplistic way.
1: And the only other thing I would want to add to this, this is just, yeah, it, it is heartbreaking to think about this, but the, the way also, because we as counselors hear about this all the time, uh, we have counselees that are on different psycho, psychoactive medications. Again, when we think about pharmacology in general and how it relates to this, this uh, biological psychiatric approach to understanding mental illnesses that... Um, we we would we would agree that in some in some cases, and this is what the uh, authors of the article say, that psychoactives generally can alleviate re- reported symptoms. They do this, but uh, it's not how they are marketed to the public, as you mentioned in uh, in, in your direct to consumer advertising uh, piece just earlier. That uh, it's that's why they're called antidepressants, mm-hmm. antipsychotics. Um, Uh, anti-anxiety medications. Uh, They are proposing, they're promoted as treating monocausal deficits, you know, uh, a low neurotransmitter in the brain that causes sadness. It's a singular problem. It's a biological problem. And again, if you want to talk about reductionism, that's it right there. Uh, And again, it makes it so ironic that many of our detractors would view our approach as being reductionistic when all of psychiatry, and again, you talked about co-belligerence, People in the field who aren't even believers say, we're not treating people. This is inhumane. And they may not put it that way, but that's the gist of what's going on here. And they've been writing about this for many, many decades. This is not some sort of peripheral conversation anymore. I think this is a main conversation within the entire field of psychiatry. It's been and has remained to be a field in search of a science to support its new theories of of human problems.
0: Yeah, I think that's an interesting conclusion. And again, we're running out of time and we have a few more points actually that we want to make. So what I want to do, Sam, if we can, is is uh, maybe push this to our, our final week in the Mental Health Awareness Month and continue discussion of this article because I think this is a profound issue. But before we push to next week um, and focus on uh, some of the implications. What are the implications of a study like this? What I want to do is is let's take the the academia and bring it down. Just in a few final thoughts today, we'll do some some more of this maybe next week. But a few final thoughts for today is why is this so important? If you're if you're sitting there as, as a pastor, if you're sitting there as as a church leader, an elder uh, of some sort uh, in your church, why is this such a critical uh, subject? Why why? Why should we want to know about this? Why is this important to us? Uh, give me just a couple of uh, thoughts of why this might be important.
1: I think the first one is one that our predecessor and, and founder, ACBC founder Jay, made uh, extremely well and very often, uh, that pastors don't have to feel like they have to uh, cede any ground in the care of souls. Mm-hmm. Uh, the care of souls is uh, is a uh, a direct responsibility, a privilege of pastors. It is something that all believers can engage in, and uh, even if there is any, you know, down the road, any scientific validation of any of these theories, it doesn't change our mission one bit. So don't be intimidated by the language. Don't be intimidated by the frameworks and the hypotheses and the worldviews. Just remain faithful. Trust the Holy Spirit. Trust that the Word of God truly is sufficient. I I I think what the temptation is to do is to either uh, say, well, there's, there's a certain level of problem that is out of my hands and my control. I can't speak to it. It has to go to, you know, this realm. Uh, when the truth is, regardless of the severity of the problem, there is always a place for the minister to speak. Always, because we are people made in the image of God. So let me encourage our listeners, our biblical counselors, our lay people, especially our pastors, keep being faithful. Mm-hmm. Minister the word. Don't seed that ground.
0: Mm-hmm. And trust the power of the word and uh, the supernatural ability of God to yes. do his work. Uh, we can't minimize that. And, and that doesn't translate into a quote-unquote scientific world very well. I'm going to leave you with one thought as we conclude uh, this particular podcast on biological psychiatry. David Pallison wrote an article back in 1999 in the Journal of Biblical Counseling, and um, I want to just use him to answer the question that I posed to Sam. And he's talking about biological psychiatry, and he's talking about how prominent it had become in the latter part of the 20th century. And basically what he tries to do is to say, this is deeply affecting the church already, so let me give a couple of responses. And I want you to listen to the wisdom of Paulson as to why this is such an important issue. And he gives a couple of arguments. I'll just give you his first. This is what he says. First, what God has said about human nature are problems, and the only Redeemer is true. It is true truth. His truth is reliable. What the Bible says about people will never be destroyed by any neurological or genetic finding. The Bible is an anvil that has worn out a thousand hammers. Neurology and genetics are finding lots of interesting facts. New findings will enable good doctors to cure a few diseases, which is a genuine good. More power to them, and we will all be the beneficiaries. But biopsychiatry cannot explain, nor will it ever explain what we actually are. All people are in the image of God and depend on God, body and soul. I don't know that there's anything I can add other than amen. Thank you, amen. Dr. Pallison, for giving such clarity early on. And I want us to return to his clear thinking and how we discern and think wisely about some of these philosophies that are impacting and and even fear-mongering us who believe by faith. And so I wanna encourage you with that. Don't forget, be with us next week as we conclude this discussion uh, on biological psychiatry and some of the misrepresentations that we see propagated consistently to the culture at large. You're listening to Truth in Love, a podcast of ACBC. I know know that you're saying, man, this is just a lot of information. It's so deep. I I get that. I want to encourage for so many of you who are members, you listen weekly and um, you're you're certified with ACBC. We have intentionally tried to move in the direction of uh, raising the value of your membership. One of the ways that we've tried to do that is providing you with a plethora of resources. Some of the resources that have been produced in our 45-year history, uh, we've made available to you for free. Whereas once they were behind a paywall, we've done our absolute best to try and get information to you because we value the information. We think it's important as people are promoting the beauty of the scriptures and its efficiency to deal with the problems that we face. Uh, And then also doing critiques, just like what we've done here. Uh, and, And both of those things are necessary. Always uh, critiquing relative to an apologetic for biblical counseling against the the secular world and what they're promoting philosophically, uh, and then for uh, biblical counseling and and how the Bible promotes it this beautiful edifice of strength uh, to understand humanity, resting in God for help and hope to restore. And for those of you who are members, you may have no idea, but on your member portal on our new website, there are so many resources that are absolutely free for you that once you would have had to pay for that now you have access to. And so can I recommend that you you visit there even today and check out some of those resources and you'll find some of the resources uh, are talking about even this particular subject uh, on biological psychiatry or mental illness or, or mental disorders. And I think you'll find some help as people wrestle with that in our organization I also want to say to those of you who are on the fence, maybe you've been debating, ah, I sort of enjoy biblical counseling, not really sure. I want to encourage you to jump into the deep end and start pursuing certification. Uh, you will find a couple of things. Not only will you be encouraged and edified by the, the training that you receive at, at one of our 75 training centers around the U.S., but you'll also be encouraged as you get to the completion of that certification process in your supervision where you work with a fellow one-on-one. And who knows, are you really a biblical counselor? Well, in that process, you're going to find out because they're going to give you feedback on how you're doing in counseling. They're going to help you to grow uh, in some of the areas where you may be weak and and encourage the strengths that you have in the way that you apply the word to those who are hurting. So I want to encourage you. For that reason, to, to refine your skills, to grow in that. But we're raising some of the values of membership to give you access to more and more quality teaching and to resources that we know will be a blessing to you. So so I want to encourage you today, if you've been delaying and waiting, thinking, man, I should probably pursue certification. Can I encourage you to do that? You, you can go right to our website now and you can begin to click through the process and sign up. It's totally free at the beginning of the process and it will help you to track your whole Uh, journey through the process of ACBC certification, and you can find out more information about our certification process at biblicalcounseling.com.